Welcome to the Commission Podcast. You've joined us as we spend our summer at Revive 2019, Commission's annual Bible festival. We're in the seminar tents for the next few weeks as we hear talks on a huge variety of topics. We start today with Richard Perkins and Andy Harker. Richard Perkins is the director of church planting for Commission, and Andy Harker is director of 938. He's also leading a cross-network project called the London Church Planting Academy. Andy and Richard were talking about how we can all be involved in gospel ministry, whether or not we're looking into full-time ministry. First of all, then, I'll start with the kind of questions I think we ought to be asking. Um, so we are going to set uh, the, the sort of the narrow focus uh, in, on church planting, but actually back up and put it in a wider panorama, which is that I think these are the kinds of questions that all Christians ought to be asking themselves, whether you want to go into full-time ministry or not. So I think these the kind of questions we're going to be visiting are are every Christian questions, not just those who you know might want to do something um, a little bit more at the sharp end. So I think we, what we need to be asking is what could I be doing for the gospel, given the ability, capacity, and opportunity that God has given me. So a great friend of mine uh, is a guy called Gary Williams. He's a lecturer at London Seminary. Uh, I think he was the one who first introduced me to that question. He said, you know, the question you've got to ask is, what should you be doing for the gospel, giving the ability that God has given you, the capacity that he's given to you, and the opportunities set before you? And uh, talking to him a couple of years ago, actually before I became the director of church planting, he said, and the next thing you've got to ask is, what is the thing that I could do that fewest others could? Because either that's a brilliant question, because in one sense... Loads of people could run Christchurch Ballam as I did for 15 years. Fewer people were able to do the director of church planting job within co-mission, not, not just, uh, largely because of history. So in one sense, it did make sense that it was an absolute wrench to walk away from Christchurch Ballam. I think that question sets the discussion in the concept of stewardship. In other words, we want to be good stewards of what God has given us. He has made you to be what you are with skills, capacity, opportunity, and so on. The question is, what are you going to do with what you've been given? That's the key question. So how should you be using the resources that God has given you? He's given you time. He's given you energy. He's given you gifts. He's given you money. He's given you relationships. The question is, what are you going to do with the things that God has entrusted to you? Because one day, we will each stand before him, and he'll say, how'd it go? (laughs) What did you do? Uh, and I just don't want to be that guy that says, yeah, do you know what? I squandered it. Um, Vaughan Roberts puts it this way uh, in, I think he puts it in the 938 book. Uh, he says, the aim is not to persuade everyone that they should give up their present jobs and offer themselves as workers to churches and missionary organizations. We all have different gifts. Some are suited to this kind of work. Others are best suited in other ways. We must resist the idea that some jobs are better or more spiritual than others. But we should all be asking ourselves this question. What is it that I could do as the person I am with the gifts that God has given me that would bring most glory to God through the spread of the gospel? And for some of us, that will mean staring where they are. For others, it will mean a significant change of direction. Brilliant. We've got, we've got to the, the why the, the why question. Why maximize our ministry? And, and we don't want to labor this because in some ways, the reason you're here is because you're concerned about uh, church planting. You're interested in these questions we've just been asking. Um, but we do want to spend a few minutes on it because this is the stuff that puts the, the fire in our bellies. This is what gives us 
a kind of a weightiness to what we're talking about. And it's also part of to engage with what you're saying, you know, about it's how God reveals to us what is clear um, and what he wants us to be doing. So uh, first reason, there's loads of reasons that we could put down there, but one reason and a key one that connects with the, the whole theme of this um, weekend, we seek to maximize our ministry because that's why Christ died. It's part of the purpose for which Christ died is us being eager to do ministry and maximize our ministry. So uh, this passage from Titus 2, you'll know this passage, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It actually literally says brings salvation to all people. It brings this salvation all the way to us. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. It's the Exodus word, isn't it? To redeem, to, to rescue us from slavery, from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people. So God is not just in the business of getting individuals. He wants to grab for himself a people. He wants to have this people that are his very own, very own, like, like my wife is my very own. She's not yours. She's my very own. Uh, God wants to have a people like that, who, that, his very own, who are purified, who are eager to do what is good. And, and Christ died for that. That's part of the purpose for which he died. He didn't die to, to gather a lukewarm bunch of people. He gathered to die for a people who are eager, zealous to do what is good, to maximize every good they can do. And so not to do that is to frustrate part of the purpose of, for which Christ died. That's a big thing, isn't it? Secondly, we, we seek to maximize our ministry because we're preparing people for Christ's return. Um, so you've got that in Titus 2. It talks about we're, we're waiting for this blessed hope. And then you get it unpacked in 1 Peter 4. So 1 Peter chapter 4 says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, then it gives a load of things. So the context of this whole thing is that the end is near. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards. That's the stewardship stuff coming in again. Faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So that's all in the context of eternity. So Peter mentions various different ways of serving there, hospitality, using different gifts, serving, speaking, but it's all preparing people for eternity. It's all in the light of the fact the end is near. Every church activity that we do, every Christian activity, all, all gospel ministry, is all with the aim of preparing people for Jesus coming back, isn't it? Either we're getting people ready in the first place, so they've got to get in that burnt ground that Yannick was talking about. They've got to get into that safety. They've got to get in the ark because the, the flood is coming. They've got to get into that safety. And then once we're there, we want to be those people who are ready, getting ready for Jesus coming back so that we're like that, that bride longing for the bridegroom and ready for him. So that's what um, our ministry is all about. And that gives an urgency, doesn't it? It gives a seriousness to this. Jesus is coming back maybe 
in a couple of days' time. I don't know, 100 years, 50 years, five years. It gives an urgency and a weightiness. Uh, thirdly, we seek to maximize our ministry because each one of us has been gifted by Christ. And you get that partly in that one piece of passage, uh, God's uh, various gifts of grace, various sorts of ministry. But a classic one is 1 Corinthians 12. So the 1 Corinthians 12 passage. Uh, there are different kinds of service, but the same Spirit dis- distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So the Spirit gives these different gifts for me. No? So I can sort of go into my room and sort of practice on my own, like I'm practicing the oboe or something. No, for the common good. We're given a gift for the common good. So if I don't exercise my gift, I'm denying you. I'm, I'm robbing something from the body of Christ. It's given for the common good. To, to one that's given a message of wisdom, um, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. But all of these given by the one spirit distributes. Uh, he distributes them to each one just as he determines. God gives the gifts and he wants them to be used, basically. That's a good reason to use them, isn't it? Um, God doesn't give us these gifts to bury them in the ground. I was, I was really, um, personally, a big part of my, I guess you could say kind of cool, if you, if you want to use that language, a big part of my uh, feeling like uh, I wanted to devote my life to doing word and prayer ministry, was um, I was in the second year of Cornhill training course that some of you might, might know about, and Dick Lucas... Um, uh, came in and uh, he did this great um, thing on Matthew 25, the, the parable of the the, the talents, and um, uh, you know the, you know the story. There's a guy who buries his talent in the ground, and um, it suddenly struck me. I you know I've just been given this kind of gold dust, this amazing training. That I've just you know been absolutely loving. And Dick Lucas was saying like you know if you've been given this stuff and you've been given some kind of gift to be able to teach it, don't bury it in the ground. Don't be the guy who buries it in the ground. How are you going to use it? I thought, yeah, got to use it. We're given these gifts by God for others. And fourthly, we seek to maximize our ministry because of the dire situation on the ground. So there's just an awful lot of gospel ministry to be done. We look, Jesus looked out on the Israel, didn't he? And, he? and he saw them like harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them. He had that. He was gutted for them, literally. And then he changes the image to, um, it's like a harvest field. He sees this massive harvest field. And there's some rain coming, a thundercloud in the distance. If we don't get this harvest in, th- there's an urgency here. There's a timeline. We've got to get this harvest in. It's ready for harvest, but we haven't got many workers. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Um, in the UK, uh, some stats that um, LCM did recently um, was that one in three UK residents um, don't even know a Christian. So it's not like one in three are not Christian. It's like one in three just, you know, they, they might know of the Pope, you know, but they don't personally know a colleague or a friend who they could go and talk to who they know is a Christian. In London particularly, LCM have... Uh, found there's 2.5 million people who have never been invited to church, never opened the Bible with a, a friend, never been invited to, to hear anything about the gospel. So 2.5 who are just 
completely unreached. No one has even tried to reach them in any way. London is a mission field. Some of you here might be thinking of overseas mission and don't want to put a damper on that. Um, I've done a bit of that myself. Um, there's a big world, there's a lot of unreached people um, and uh, the Lord might open doors for you. But just, just to remember that this is a mission field. London is a big mission field. If it was a country, it would be bigger than Austria, bigger than Norway, bigger than about 137 countries in the world. In fact, if you added up the 61 smallest countries in the world, that's the size of London. It's, it's a big place. And, and not only just a lot of people, but a lot of unreached people. So there's, there's people, you know, there's people walking amongst us here, aren't there, from Somalia, North Korea. Um, there's a lot of unreached people in this city. 222,000 people in London were born in Bangladesh. This is not, it's not counting second, third generation, just born in Bangladesh. Now here, 222,000. Um, there's there's a, a church planter with commission who's seeking to raise up a church among Russian-speaking people. 250,000 Russian-speaking people in London, mostly from post-Soviet states, mostly haven't heard the gospel. So just as uh, God challenged Jonah, the Old Testament prophet, and said, you know, shouldn't I be concerned about this great city? You know, there's, there's that challenge there to us, isn't there? Shouldn't we be concerned about this city that we live in? Um, it's a mission field. And I, I know we say that. I've heard people say that a lot of times. But it, it just, um, I think we just need to let that sink in. Because if you're anything like me, if you live and work in this city, we very easily get used to it. And we stop thinking about it as somewhere that if you flew into it as a city, you'd be thinking, this is a massive mission field. Um, I want to suggest that the key place to start uh, is your local church. If those convictions mean anything to you and have sort of shaken you up and created within you a kind of, okay, the, the why, why should I be increasing my ministry? The obvious place to start is in your local church. That's where you are. That local church ought to have a concern to reach its local neighborhood with the gospel. Um, now, of course... Uh, if you're somewhere like the Global CCM, the local neighbourhood needs to be slightly redefined. But you get what I mean. It's either trying to reach a neighbourhood or it's trying to reach a network. But each one of the local churches you're involved in ought to have some sort of intentional pattern for trying to reach unbelieving London with the gospel. Okay. Now, I, I don't want to predict what those look like, but... I think these are the kind of bases that every church needs to hit. I have to, a confession here, I ran Christchurch Ballon for 15 years. I, I, what I thought we were doing in the early days was, was pretty unclear in my head. I knew I had to teach the Bible because I've been to theological college. I knew I had to pray and it was good to sort of explain the, the, the Bible and do sort of you know, personal work with people and pick up the problems and the pieces when that went wrong. But a kind of coherent... Okay, guys, this is what we're doing, and this is, going to, this is how we're going to try to do it. No, 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 just didn't have. So, one of the things we do at the moment, so with the church planters who come through and our ministry trainees, is we're trying to make sure that they are not accidental church planters, but intentional church planters. We're absolutely clear who gives the growth. 1 Corinthians 3 7, we plant, we water, but who's, who, God is the one who gives the growth. But it typically works through means. 
So I think that here are, here are four key bases every church needs to cover. First of all, you want to engage the local community. So your church has to have something of a kind of a program or, or an approach to engaging the local community. Otherwise, you've got this congregation with the best news in the world surrounded by 95% of your neighbourhood who are completely unaware that you exist and, and that that news is there. So you've got to engage them somehow. Secondly, you want to evangelise them. In other words, okay, we've engaged them, they've met us, they're prepared to listen to the gospel. What happens next? What, what is your church doing to say, okay, let's just talk about that gospel. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about who he is. Let's talk about why he came. Why was it necessary for him to die? How does that work? What happened to him after he died? And in his coming back, what difference does that make? And what about life now? That, that is the evangelism thing. Establish. So someone says, do you know what? That's the best news I've ever heard, and I want to sign up. I'm following Christ. He's going to be my Lord. I'll submit to him. He's going to be my saviour. I trust him. Great. What's next? Establish people in the truth. So in other words, give them a firm foundation. Give them a, a really good understanding of who God is, what the Bible is, why they should believe it, what life is for, uh, you know, what, what, what Colossians is about, how the Old Testament fits with the Old Testament, what happens when we die. In other words, those kind of the, the bedrock things that you kind of build your life on, saying this is an unshakable foundation. I, you know, so let's establish people. Um, now, most of that will be your Sunday sermons. I don't know what you, you guys are preaching on at the moment. We're, we go back next term, sorry, back next week, and we start Philippians. We've just finished Mark's Gospel. That's the kind of establishing stuff as people get to grips with Jesus in the Gospel, They'll get to, get to grips with the concept of being gospel partners looking at Philippians. Equip is, okay, I'm a Christian. I believe the truth. Now what do I do? Well, in one sense, it depends who you are. What is the array of gifts and opportunities and capacity that God has given to you? Um, so equipping is kind of training. It's enabling people to, um, to be involved in the work of ministry. So you remember Ephesians 4, what's the job of the pastor teacher there? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So my job as a pastor is meant to be ministry multiplication. So the success of my job is not determined by the quality of my sermons, but by the activity of the people who are part of our, of our church. Now I want to say, given that you've got this kind of intentionality in a local church, the place for you to begin, if you're beginning to ask the question, um, what should I do is in one of these areas. So here's my question. I don't know whether you've got the sheet in front of you. Just perhaps with the person next to you or on your own, scribble down what you think your church family does in each of those areas. So for example, a, a bridge church, Peckham, Daniel will tell you, what do we do in terms of engage? How do we, how do we intentionally engage the local community? Door to door. Okay, we started it last week. It was terrifying, but it went better than I ever could have hoped. Evangelism. We're going to try and train everyone in our congregation to be able to do one-to-one -one with someone else. That is a big ask. Establishment. It's the regular Sunday sermons. Equip. We have a, we have a, a midweek training course. That is the what of ministry. And I want to encourage you to take that away and think about that. Think about what your local church is doing in each of those areas and how you could be involved. 
and also begin to think through who is one person in each of those categories who could, you, who could benefit from your input. So it could be a non-Christian neighbor. It could be someone in your small group who you could actually read one-to-one -one with so they're further established in the truth. If you're currently teaching Sunday school, why not train up someone else to be involved in that with you and share it? Okay? And that is, in one sense, the job of, of, of ministry is, is being involved in those things. Now, the other thing I think that's other little tool, we thought about the what, what about the where? So the where is the context, isn't it? So I don't want to suggest that ministry is only limited to what you're doing in your local church. Um, I typically think of four areas. I think this, this covers everything. In other words, every single one of us exists in a home context. You know, whether we're married or single, whether we have children or not, whether we're still at home with our parents, we have a home with, and that is a where. You know, that is... That is, that, you know, we're there. We want to serve our parents. We want to serve our kids, our husband, our wife, maybe even our flatmates if that's the stage of life that we're at. There's awareness to, to and, um, and the home is, is an aspect of it. Church, obviously, you know, whether that is block or whether it's um, CCM or whatever, there's a church family that, that is a sphere in which we operate. For most of you, I guess, work is a pretty big one at the moment. You know, it's, it's putting putting pounds in the bank account, not as quickly as you'd like, but that, that, that's a big thing, that's a big commitment, that's awareness, and then the world, you know, and by that I simply mean, in one sense, what's left over in terms of you know, your social life, your sporting and recreational life, that, you know, whether you're part of a club, um, whether you play sport, all that kind of thing. And, and each of you will be able to kind of, you'll, you'll have a handle on what that looks like. Now, inevitably for me, the, you know, the church aspect is massive, but that's because I don't work for a living. Um, whereas you lot are probably, your work is probably this, your church is that, your home is that, and your world perhaps. But that is a kind of, it gives you a percentage, doesn't it, of where you are. Now, in one sense, that therefore just, you need to be realistic. And where you are at the moment will give you opportunities that you won't have somewhere else. So guess what? It's really hard for me to continue to, to, to keep engaging and evangelizing a non-Christian community. Because I don't spend my day rubbing up against them. I work, for, I work with Richard Cokin um, and, and Ruth Standring and, and Matt Dalton and Lizzie Ross. We're all Christians. So, you know, I have limited opportunities to hear. Believe me, I'm doing what I can to try and train them. But, but that's where I am. Um, but for you, it'll be different. Uh, and therefore, just in one sense, um, it... it that may not want to be where you end up, but it is where you are at the moment. Maximize your ministry there. So where you are at the moment, take the opportunities. For example, if you're working with a whole bunch of non-Christian colleagues, wow, does that give you some opportunities. Okay? Um, right, I don't think I need to say more on that at this stage. I think that the thing we want to do next, obviously none of this matters if you have not been fired by the, the why question. Why should I do this? Why shouldn't I just carry on doing what I'm doing and do the same old, same old? But I think in the light of the dire situation on the ground, it is, it is, it's not hopeless, but it is rubbish in London at the moment. Given the imminency of the Lord's return, given that Jesus Christ died so that we would be zealous for good works, and given that we've been gifted differently for the sake of, uh, for the sake of ministry, the question we've got to be asking is, okay, what should I do given who I am? 
for the sake of the gospel, for the benefit of the gospel? Because that's going to be the question that we're asked at the end of um, the end of time. So I'm going to hand over to Andy, and Andy's going to describe some potential next steps for you. If you like, it's a pathway, and this is to come back to your question earlier. Tell me your name, sorry. Peter. Okay, so Peter, it's that kind of what could I do next? Um, you know, how do I go from where I am now to where I could be? Here are some suggested ways to do that. Great. I think the first thing, just to just underline what um, Perks is saying, just to be, just to get stuck in where we are. Um, doing the the engage, the the evangelise, the establish, the equip. Um, just to make it very concrete, I think um, what I'm challenged to do going away from this is the 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 four people that I've got written in those boxes. I don't know if people use prayer mates. Do you use prayer mates? Um, you don't have to use prayer mates. I think you can get to heaven without it, but um, I find it quite helpful. Um, you have to, you know, obviously swiping is not the same as praying, but it, it's just helpful for lists and stuff. Um, and uh, what, I, what I'm challenged to do is, is put those four people into different days on a prayer mate thing, and then that will prompt me to pray for them, and that might actually prompt me to do something um, about that. Um, so get stuck in where you are, and it's as you, it's as you serve... And try different things. You know, if, if you if you haven't tried youth work or something, you know, try it. If you, if you haven't, if there's some area that you think I'd, I'd like to try that, why not try it? Um, obviously, we, we want to go where the needs are in our church, but often there will be multiple needs, and you can try different things, see what works, um, and and what people say. You know, I think you're doing well at that. You know, if if you keep getting asked to do something, that's usually a positive sign. I mean, it might be just because there's absolutely no one else who can do it, but often it means like. Yeah, you, you've done well at that. You know, we'd, we'd like, you know, can you come back and talk to the youth again? We really appreciated that. Can you come back and do some more studies? And, it, and it, it gets to a point where you might start being asked to do so many things that you're like, I'm actually having to start turning things down. I'm actually, this is, I'm, I'm finding that my work is now crashing up against all the stuff I'd love to do. And that, that's, that's usually a bit of a sign. Maybe you want to kind of change the, the, the proportions in that sort of circle diagram. So do that. Um, Talk, as we, as we said earlier, talk to, it, talk to a pastor, talk to a church leader who knows you well, and, and just say, like, I'm, I, would, I do want to serve uh, more. I'd, I'd like to try different things. What, what do you think I'd be good at? Have you noticed anything? Um, and you, you might fear that they'll just kind of get you into the thing that, that really needs doing that you don't really don't want to do. Um, but the, the pastors of our churches here are very gospel-hearted guys. They're kingdom-minded guys. They, they want to see the gospel grow all over. If, if you have a passion for going to wherever it is, they, they, they will want you to be doing that. They'll want you to be serving flat out, wherever that will be. Um, in terms of training, um, there's a few things. Um, just a few things up there. Um, Proclamation Trust is a PT. Um, Cornhill training course, have you heard of that? Um, Again, you don't, it's not essential to, to enter heaven or, or to enter gospel ministry, actually. People have managed to do that without it. But it, it, it is a very, very good um, course in, in what they call Bible handling. How can we see what the Bible is saying and communicate it effectively? Um, and a lot of people have found that helpful. They've, they've split it up now so that it's, I think they call F1, which is not Formula 1, but I think it's Foundation 1 or something. Then Foundation 2. Those are just one day a week each. And then there's a core thing, which I think is two days a week. So the good thing about that is that it is possible to do that and to do secular work. So I go into Cornhill sometimes, and there's, uh, in, in a small group um, of kind of eight people, there's two of them, I think, are doing full-time, well, not full-time, four-day-a-week four jobs. So doing four days a week, and they're spending, I think one's a 
opera singer, one's an engineer, um, and they're taking a day out to do Cornhill. And it's, it's a great way to, to dip the toe in the water, see, see if, if you start getting that fire in the bones, see if it's something that you can do, and you seem to have an aptitude to do so. Um, worth thinking about that. You'll find there's a, a wide range of people, particularly F1. It's not just people thinking of doing pastoral ministry. There's people doing it because they want to be good children's workers, youth workers, um, music, musicians who want to know better the word of God. Um, so there's a whole range of people for a whole range of ministries. It's not, it, it, you can't really go wrong by doing that uh, one day a week. Uh, another thing, Biblical Counseling UK. Um, Helen Thorne, who's, who's uh, wandering around here, and you might have uh, come across, is, is, is one of the leading people within Biblical Counseling. What, what, they, what they're great at is applying the gospel into the nitty-gritty of life and into heart issues, um, fear, anxiety, depression, anger, um, how does these great truths of redemption and propitiation, how do they drill down and make a difference to your parenting and your marriage and your um, anxieties at work? Yeah. Really, really helpful. I mean, again, it'd be helpful for everyone, really. And I think that they, whether it's not just for professional counsellors, okay, so not just for someone sitting in a room with counsellor on the door, but just in the way that we encourage one another, the way that we use our words to, to build people up. Um, that, my wife's doing that at the moment, and uh, they go a fortnightly for an evening to Oak Hill, um, and it's about sort of eight, nine, ten hours a week. So not, it's doable, it's doable. You can do that and do a job as well. Uh, Crossland's training is um, uh, a distance learning thing again. Uh, they have a few little residentials, but most of it is distance learning. Um, and, and really good sound stuff. So um, if, if going to theological college is not going to be an option um, price-wise or time-wise, uh, that's something that you can do. A bit more intensive, probably sort of 15 hours a week, 20 hours a week. But, um, and serious stuff, um, you can do it at foundation level, which is a bit less intensive, and then at seminary level, um, which, is, which is more like a sort of um, degree level. But um, good, solid, well-applied biblical theology. Um, and then uh, co-mission, which you might have heard of, also do um, a, a training scheme. Andy Mason, who many of you know about, uh, uh, is walking around here. Um, Andy Mason leads a uh, apprenticeship program. And, and doing a kind of ministry apprenticeship, um, there, there's quite a few guys here doing ministry apprenticeships who, or have done recently, you can talk to. But I, I did one personally. Um, Perk said, I think it can be a, a great, one of those steps, as we were saying, a step to take. To, to just to dip the toe in the water and see what ministry would be like, um, but also it can be the great, uh, a great first step to sort of um, uh, growing in our heart, our head, our hands, um, and, uh, and seeing from the inside what gospel ministry is like. Um, I don't know if you want to say a bit more about that, maybe about planting. Yeah, I just, okay, I just, uh, do you want to pop onto the, the advert one for that? Um, so there's, there's a conference uh, run by 938, um, uh, just after New Year. So basically, Richard Cokin, uh, for the last 20-odd years, has been running a ministry trainee conference after, um, just after New Year each year. Um, and this year, it's going, or this coming year, it's going to be expanded to not just be ministry trainees, but also be people who are thinking about um, how to maximize their gospel ministry. So uh, whether they're um, working full-time, part-time students, whatever stage, but they're thinking of how can I maximize my gospel ministry at uh, that conference for uh, sort of 48 hours at Highly, 
um, just, you know, just north of London. Um, great teaching from Richard, Santosh, um, and others, and uh, you'd be really, really welcome at that. It's affordable, and uh, yeah, you can, there's information on the 938 website about that. Um, thanks, Andy. I thought it might be a tiny bit helpful just to say, um, and maybe Andy wants to add to this as well, what happened with me, so the transition. Um, so uh, school, left school, joined the Royal Navy. So officer training for a year, converted at the end of that year through a friend. So became a Christian. Church, church background, um, okay. Uh, for me, it was a massive, okay, this is amazing. I've not heard this before. This is fantastic. I, no one I know knows this. So that kind of desire to sort of try to share, but not being quite sure how. Obviously in the Navy, no local church involvement. Pretty problematic. Got involved in camps, uh, which are a good thing to do. And I learned to explain the Bible, explain the gospel, uh, be a part of a team, pray, all that kind of stuff. Brilliantly helpful for me in terms of grounding. Um, the big decision then came, okay, what do I do? I'm, I'm in the Navy. Uh, that, I went off to university. They sent me off to university to study, and that was a good time in terms of being involved in a CU. That was where I got involved in camps. But then it was, okay, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? Do I want to be a naval officer? Um, and I thought, no, I don't. Actually, I want to share the gospel with people. I want to teach the Bible. And the obvious step for me was to go into some kind of children's ministry. So I thought I'd go off and become a school chaplain. I'd go through the Church of England. So um, I started on the Church of England process, uh, really as a means to an end, uh, which was to become a school chaplain. Uh, but I came, I, I left the Navy. That was a big decision. That was one of those, ooh, okay, right. There's, ooh, I, you know, I leave, there's no way back. I was pretty institutionalized. It was, um, you know, it was great. They did my washing for me, cooked my meals, gave me a place to live. It was fantastic. Um, but that was the decision to leave. Um, made, did that and realized, uh, and took an opportunity to work in a local school uh, in, with a chaplain and get some ministry experience. So I was a teacher, but at the same time, just look, spending time with the chaplain trying to work out what's what. He said, look, you need to go and get trained. You need Bible handling skills. You need to go to Cornhill. Okay, where's Cornhill? London, right. I was in Henley-on-Thames. Right, complete shift. You need a church placement. Oh, okay. He said, don't worry, I know just the man for you. So I went to Dundonald. Richard Cokin became my placement supervisor. I went to Cornhill. I did Cornhill in a year. It was nuts. I didn't remember anything after about January. Uh, my, main, my mind was full. But it was brilliant. And I was part of a local church. Dundonald in those days was 40 people. And, you know, we got experience. So the, the next year, Richard realized, um, yeah, he really doesn't know anything, does he? Um, you know, Cornell's done well, but, but he needs to spend two more years with me. So I did a ministry training. So he, they provided me with about 12 grand a year. Um, I had a working wife who funded uh, stuff, but we could, we could live on that um, in London. And um, so I did that for two years, then went off to Theological College, which for me was Oak Hill. Brilliant time. Came out, planted Ballam. Um, so went into church planting there. Prior to that, Richard had got me to try a couple of things to start a new camp, and he tried me to get. I tried trying to get something up and running in the local YMCA as a kind of ministry outreach there. So he'd given me experience of trying stuff that hadn't gone brilliantly. Some had gone better, but I got lots of ministry experience through. So the idea of planting a church out of out of college wasn't totally outside of you know the the, bound, the grounds of possibility. But for me, it was just a lot of little mini steps, which were 
this looks like the obvious next step. I, you know, and once it's, I'm still waiting to become a school chaplain, but it, it, sound, it looks like that, that ship has sailed. And here I now find myself in a position where I'm the director of church planting, trying to help other guys get plants up and running. But I think if you told me back that back when I was 22, I'd have laughed and said, it's just it's nuts. So many steps. Um, we had a question earlier about church planting. How to support a church plant. Um, I'll go back and I've got it. There you go. Okay. Um, I, I have to say church plants are brilliant. If you're a part of a church plant with 30 people in it, like we are at Peckham, um, if you've got a heartbeat, you're on the serving team. And, and so you get experience. Our church plants are the best, best places to get ministry experience. So I want to say, if, if you have the opportunity to be part of a church plant, don't miss out. Seriously. Those, those opportunities don't come along every day. And if you get a chance, do it. It'll be the best experience for you in terms of ministry experience. Um, here, here are a suggestion of ways in which you can be involved in church planting. First of all, pray for it and pray for our plants. Um, you know, those guys are, it's early days. Nothing's a given. It, everything's starting from scratch. It might be that some of you are in a position to be able to fund church planting. Um, wonderfully for us in Peckham, I don't cost Peckham anything. I'm doing it bivocationally. And the guy I'm doing with it, a guy called Adrian Yeboah, we've been able to fund uh, to the tune of about 20,000 pounds. But if, if the, the, the full-time cost of a church planter is probably somewhere between 50 and 60,000 pounds in London. House, wage, national insurance, 50,000 pounds. So we need people to fund it. Um, now, there are other ways of doing it, bivocationally, and I'm, trying to, well, I'm discovering how difficult that is. Participate, go along, be a part of it. Um, so don't be a pew sitter who consumes ministry from the front if, if you're the kind of person in a spiritual condition who could actually get involved and start serving and put your weight behind whatever that church is doing. And who knows, at some point down the, the track, it could well be that you actually decide that this is the kind of thing you could be involved in. Thanks for listening to the Commission podcast. For more on church planting and our ministry trainee scheme, go to commission.org. And for more about the London Church Planting Academy, go to londonplantingacademy.org. <laughs>